This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, all right. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for joining, and welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. So, tonight, Be'ezat Hashem, we're going to be starting a new series, a series on Pelkei Avot. This is something that, uh, you know, I've been contemplating to start the series. Not that we finish our, our Imuna series. We still have a few classes left. But because it is the season for Perke Avos, I figured let us start it. Um, and, uh, we'll see where it, uh, where it takes us. I know we were contemplating at one point to do a Kabayasha series, which we still might do. But in any case, because of the time, uh, of where we're holding it between Pesach and Shavuot, I figured it's apropos to go and to, uh, um, do a little bit on a Perkei Avot. So the thing, the okay. So two, two. Actually, one, one announcement uh, beforehand. So for anybody, whether it's on this, uh, you know, Zoom or anybody that listens to this class later, if you want to learn with someone, if you want to be able to learn about Shabbos, you want to learn about kosher, you want to learn about anything and anything, there is a program out there that, for free, it sets you up with a rabbi to learn one-on-one. So, it's an amazing program, and I definitely, definitely recommend anybody and anyone that would want to learn and want to grow, even if it's once a week, once every other week, whatever it is that you want, you could sign up. Uh, you could go to the website, it's called Back to Sinai, or you could email Rabbi Rahimi at Y-A-A-K-O-V-R-A- H-I-M-I at gmail.com to uh, sign up for this. So, to uh, um, tonight we are learning Leilunish Matzah about Reb Mordechai and Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechazka ben Avram, as well as Nechava Bas Harav Shlomo Chaim. So, the idea behind learning Pirkei Avos between Pesach and Shavuos, because it's like, it's like a thing, you know, everybody's aware of it, Many people know the reason behind it, but not everyone. So the idea behind it is that uh, we are getting close to Shavuot. Shavuot is the holiday where we receive the Torah. And uh, there is a preparation that is needed that should be, uh, um, you know, come before the, um, you know, the holiday. So now the idea behind this is also when the when the Jewish people left Egypt, they were on the 49th level of Tumah. And from the 49th, they worked their way up all the way to uh, to Shavuos in 49 days, which is, again, we're not going to get into this verse. So, Omer, we're not going to account that, but that's the whole idea behind the theme of this time period is where we work on ourselves to sort of become better people to be able to receive the Torah. So, most people, they learn Perke Avos from uh, Pesach to Shavuot, but there are many people that actually learn it from Pesach until Rosh Hashanah. Meaning every Shabbos they learn the Perk and then they go, the cycle repeats itself again and again and again until, until Rosh Hashanah. So again, the idea behind it is that we're preparing ourselves either for Shavuot or preparing ourselves for the Judgment Day. Again, we're becoming, you know, we're working on ourselves on character building traits to become better, uh, better people. Uh, tonight also we are learning, there's another message that came in, Le'ilu Nishmat Michal ben Yitzchak and Ariel Chai ben Elia, El, Elazar. So now, the um, 
there is another reason why we should be learning about Perkeavot, which is a book of ethics of morality, and that is during this time period where the sphera, where you have people that they don't listen to music and they don't shave, and uh, they they have a a minor signs of mourning, is because during this time period, twenty four thousand students of Rabbi Kiva passed away. They died, and the reason the Gemara tells us the reason they passed away is because they didn't treat each other with respect, meaning that they didn't have a level of respect for one another. And because of that, that caused them to pass away early. So during this time period, we increase our work on the respect that we have for other people, and hence our morality and ethics that we are that we learn. And uh, you know, hopefully, to sort of like not to you know fix, but sort of to elevate ourselves to the level that we ought to uh, to be on. So. That is the reason that during the time period bet- between uh, Pesach and Shavuot, we go and we learn uh, Pelkei Avot. Now, the Pasuk in Bereshis tells us in the first chapter in the 26th parak, it says, uh, 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 this this verse has a lot of commentary on it, and the reason is because it's a very it's, it's hard to understand. It says, God said, Adam, let us make man. And the way, the vernacular, the verbiage that is used over here is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is using a Na'aseh as if there is more than one creator. Na'aseh means let us make man, meaning me and somebody else, let us do it together, let us work together and make man. Now, we all know that there's only one God. So who is HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaking to? Who is God talking to? And in fact, Christians try to utilize this verse into saying, oh, you see, there's more than one God, there's a trinity, and so on and so forth. Again, if you look at the next passage, it just answers, you know, takes that out of the park. But, you know, people like to look and hear, see and hear what they want to see and hear. But in any case, really, who is it referring to? So the Baal Shem Tov goes and says that, what is it referring to when it says, Adam? So all living creatures... Except for human beings are, they're created in a state of completion. If you ever see a, a baby born of a cow, a giraffe, or any animal, you see within minutes, it comes out and it's, it's able to stand, it's able to eat, it's able to do whatever. It's sort of like fully functioning within minutes of birth. Yet you look at a human birth and it takes years for the child to be self-sufficient even for just feeding itself. It takes so long, so many years. Now the question is why? If we're such an advanced species, if we're the highest level of the ladder, then why is it that if a monkey is born, within two minutes it knows it's able to eat, it's able to walk, it's able to do many things, but a human being takes years to take to get to the, to the point of where a monkey gets within minutes? And the answer is, says the Baal Shem Tov, is that living the, all the creations of the world, they're created in a state of completion. A monkey, it's, where it's created now, it's kind of in the, in the area of where it's going to be. Yes, it could enhance itself in its hunting or a little bit, you know, in a little stages, but it's in the same area of where it's going to be. However, a human being is not born in a state of completion. A human being is born in a state of potential. Meaning that the human being has more potential, but it has to be earned, it has to be worked on, it has to be grown, it has to be achieved. So the animals is able to, is, is born in a state of completion, a human being is born in a state of potential. So when I could, says the Baal Shem Tov, when I could, when God went and it says, Na'aseh Adam, who was he referring to? It says, let us create man. He's referring to, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is referring to God creating the man and the man themselves, each and every single one of us, God is saying, oh, you know what? We're going to create you together. I'm going to create you. I'm going to put you in a state of 
you know, potential. And it's up to you to finish that creation. It's up to you to finish that state of, of, you know, the state of completion. So the idea behind this is that where, where is it that we're lacking? Where is it that we have to complete? The, the answer, we have to complete in a state of our character building, working on ourselves, becoming better people. These are states that we're not, we're, we're not created in a pristine level of where we are. Everybody's created on their own level. Everybody has their own thing that they need to work on. But that is the potential that we have and we, together with God, create who we become. Meaning that we we decide, we have free will, we have the, the decision, the deciding factor of what we will end up being. You know, being a good person, being a nice person, this is from the Torah. This is an obligation from the Torah. And it's very unfortunate that many people think that religion has nothing to do, being religious has nothing to do with being a good person. You have to check out, you got to go to pray, you got to do this, you got to go you shop, you got to do all the kosher, you got to do all the things. And people tend to forget that we also have to, most importantly, we have to work on our character trait. Now, you see many people that they are religious, but maybe they're not the best and they're... Uh, um, behaviors, let's call it. I was, uh, uh, you know, I paid a shiva call recently. It was a very crowded house. And I was, we were sitting there, we were davening Mincha, we were davening Marev, I don't remember which one. And uh, there was somebody that was walking through, and this is, this is a pet peeve of mine. This is like, some, maybe it's something I probably need to work on. Where people, I call them stomach work, walkers. They walk stomach first. You know, they walk out over there. You know how like you're walking between two people? You should turn on the side and like try not to like, you know, give everybody their personal space, try to work on the side and like just get through there. But you have some people, they walk stomach first, right? Anybody in their way just gets like pushed to the side. And not only that, like sometimes it happens while people are davening Shmanasrei. So you're sitting over here, you're davening Shmanasrei, and all of a sudden you, see, you feel someone's stomach in your back and just like goes, you know, like a, like a bulldozer just going straight through. And, you know, after, you know, Shman Asrei, I look around and I see this, like, very well-respected, again, appearance doesn't mean anything, a long white beard, a perfect picture of what a elderly rabbi would look like. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, maybe it's my own thing. I'm like, when you walk, why is it that everybody has to get out of your way? Like, why don't you have to get out of other people's way if they're just standing there? And this is something that just like, I don't know why, but it just gets under my skin so much. And I, and I was like thinking, and I'm like, this guy is coming to the house. So he's doing a mitzvah. He's, he's davening. But he's sitting over here and he's acting like we're, like an animal. Like going just straight through. We're, we're, do you have a little bit of decency? Do you, excuse me, I'm sorry. Can I get through? Can I go? Or you pretend at least to try to go on the side? But yeah, you see that sometimes you have people that have the full garb of being from the full garb of being religious, but yet don't act even the, uh, close to it. But yet they do everything else right. They check everything else right. But we know that being religious is not just going and doing everything between you and God. It's also between you and your friend. There's Ben Adam Lamakom and Ben Adam Lachavero. There's between you and God. There's actually three. There's Ben Adam Lamakom between you and God. Ben Adam Lachavero between you and your friend. And, and Ben Adam Latzma between you and yourself. Someone that, that, you know, your own personal growth. But, 
when we look at growth, when we look at becoming good people, when we look at becoming religious, being religious, being from being good person means that you work on your character traits. Now, everybody wants to work on the character trait, right? You want to be a better person. You want to be a better spouse. You want to be a better child. You want to be a better parent. We all want to be better. We all have these lofty goals of how we want to achieve and what we want to become. But how many of us actually achieve those goals? How many of us, let me take it a step further. How many of us attempt to achieve that? Like how many of us work on ourselves? Many people want to be better. But how many people actually change to be better? Throughout the coming series, and we'll see how far we'll get, is the, these are things that it's not just something that you should listen to. This is something that you should work on. This is something that we're, we're going to, there, there should be, and I try to do this in many classes that I give, um, is that there should always be a takeaway. What am I going to do? So I listen to that class. I listen to this class right once a week. What is my takeaway? What am I going to do differently that's going to make me a better person? Like, what am I going to change in my life? These concepts, you realize, Pirke Avos, we repeat it every single year. Now, if you know something, why do you have to repeat it every single year? Because we have to constantly work on ourselves. No matter where you feel you're holding and how good you think you are, there's always more that you can do. There's always more than you can grow. So when we sit over here, we're sitting and we're learning and we want to become better people, it's nice, but we have to have a takeaway. You have to have a little notepad or something that you say, okay, fine, you know what? After this class, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to take away. And this is how I am going to change to become a better person, whether you're working to Shavuos or whether you're working to Rosh Hashanah or whether you're working to, to just become a better person in itself. And this is a, a, a concept that I will repeat and I have repeated it where when you come to a class, when you come to a shir, when you listen and you learn and you try to grow, it's so important that you take something practical out of it. And, and by the way, you could take practice. Even if you learn the most esoteric, Kabbalistic, deepest thing possible, there is something that you could extract from that and change in your life and become a better person. There is something that you can learn from any lesson, any story, anything that you... There, we have so many opportunities for growth in our life on a day-to-day basis, but we have to capitalize on that. And when we see an opportunity, we have to take that and take that opportunity and say, okay, now how am I going to change? How am I going to become a better person? When you learn Takeavot, it's not just checking off the boxes. Okay, I learned this mission. Let's move on to the next one. It's taking it, internalizing it, and changing it. You know, there's a saying, the, the, uh, you know, the Ramban uh, says there's something called Naval Bereshut HaTorah. Naval means that there, there's some, uh, explain it like this, you know, you could, you could do something that's fully legal and it's purely disgusting, right? Like, you could do something that's completely okay according to the legal law, according to the Torah, but yet it tur- it, it's just like, it's like this, it's like, it's just like, ugh, it's a bad taste. It's like a disgusting thing to do. So meaning that you have people that be like, wait a minute, I'm a good Jew. I keep Shabbos. I keep kosher. I keep, t- I do, I go pray. I'm modest. I do all these things. And we feel like we're a good person. We check off all the boxes. But yeah, when it comes to our spouses, when it comes to our children, when it comes to our parents, when it comes to our friends, when it comes to our school, whatever it is, wherever we're holding in our life, our interpersonal relationships has a lot to work on. And we tend not to work on those things and we tend not to focus on those things. The checking off the boxes doesn't make you a good person. You have to be a good person all around. So now when we begin 
looking at Pekeavot, you know, we have to look at the location of where it was situated. For so Rabbi Yehuda Nasi put together the Mishnah. He put together the Mishnah, uh, you know, about the 200 common era, right? So you're talking about about 1800 years ago. Yeah, 1800 years ago, um, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi put together the, the Mishnah. So when you think about having the Mishnai, this this Mishnayas of Pirkei Avos, and you had to select a location of where to put it, where would you put it? So the, the Mishnah has six sections. Let me let me list you the sections so you understand the full picture, and then think about for a second, where would you place it? So there is a section called Zram. Zram is related to the agricultural laws, um, uh, different laws of regarding the, the Kohanim and the Leviim giving gifts. There's agricultural, you know, related. Then there is Moed. Moed is the festivals. There's, then the next one is Nashim, deals with marriage, divorce, Nida, so on and so forth. Nizikin is damages, financial law, torts, vows. Then there is Kachim. Kachim is laws regarding the base of Mikdash, the sacrifices, the Karbanas, Shechita, uh, kosher and non-kosher food. And then finally there's Taharas. That's ritual purity, family purity. Now, we have a Mishnah here of ethics and moral conduct. Where would you place this? So, if you were to ask me, my first thought, I would probably place this in Nashim. In, in, in this is laws related to you know marriage. You know, like you think, where would you need more interpersonal relationship than marriage? The most relation, the highest level of relation that you have under par of of, of Baruch Hu is between you and your wife, you and your children, you're the family. Or maybe you would say, you know, you know what? You start. You have this derecharetz kabbalatari. You got to start where. You got to start right in the beginning. By the by the first mishnah should be berkeavos. But yet, where did Rabbi Yehuda Nasi put this? Where is this located? This is located in Nizikin. <coughs> Nizikin is the is a is a section that speaks about damages, financial law, torts. Like when you think about it, like why? Is moral and ethics? Why is it? And it's right after Sanhedrin. It's right after the laws regarding the the, the leaders, the the um, the courts. So why would you place that right over here? You would you would think you may place it at the beginning. Place it. Where? Why specifically was it placed in Ezekiel? So this is my own answer. I'm going to give you you know other answers that 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 I learned from Mefarshim. But my own answer, and I tried to find the source for it, but I didn't. Is that if you're not a moral and ethic person, if you're not a good person, then Ezekiel is damages. You will cause damage, whether it's relationships between you, whether it's relationships between, uh, you know, your family, your business, your, you know, uh, your, your neighbors. It would cause, if you're a good person, it's going to prevent it. So Ezekiel, it's in the damages area because if you're not a good person, you're going to cause damages. But the other answer is, is that in yeshivas, they learn Nizikin. That's what they learn. They learn Bavakawa, Bavmetziah, Bavabasha. They learn Nizikin. So, the Chachamim, they want to make sure that the Talmud, the people that are learning Yeshiva, they're going to learn this. Meaning that when you're in Yeshiva, you don't have the, you know, not everybody's in Yeshiva that is able to go into Kailul and is able to stay on to learn, you know, they have to go out at work, they have to support a family. So, when they're in Yeshiva, the, the Chachamim, they were like, hey, what are we going to focus on? Our leaders, our sages, they said, what are we going to focus on? Let us learn about Nizikin. Why? Again, again, not, not to, you know, go on off topic, but this is something that, you know, enhances the mind. It's something that's very important to learn about, particularly this topic in yeshiva. 
And because this is what we learn in yeshiva, this is the seder that we learn in yeshiva, so the Chum wanted to make sure that we capture, that we learn Perkei Avos, so they put it in the Zikin. To make sure that it's in the vicinity, make sure that you go and you learn Perkei, uh, Perkei Avos. The Rambam says, that this is placed right after Sanhedrin. So everybody needs to be moral. Everybody needs to be ethical. Everybody needs to be a good person. But a leader, even more so. If a leader is immoral and unethical, it causes more damages than if a, a layman is unethical and immoral. And if you, you, you look at the, you know, the news, anybody that gets arrested, if they have a beard or they look somewhat like a rabbi, the, you know, the journalists, right away they put it in, rabbi gets arrested, rabbi did this, rabbi did that. They put it very wide because, oh, you know, how did a rabbi do it? It's a bigger, it's a bigger news thing. It causes more damage. So that's why right after we speak about Sanhedrin, right after we speak about the leaders of the generation, we speak about the rabbis of the generation, now we say, oh, you want to become a rabbi? You want to become a leader? Make sure you work on this, and that's why Perkei Elvis follows right after that. And it's very interesting, when you look at how the Torah describes the great Jewish people, it speaks about their character traits. It doesn't speak about how much they were able to conquer. It doesn't speak about how strong they were. How It speaks about, well, Shlomo Amel speaks about how, how wise he was. But you look at all the other leaders, Moshe Rabbeinu, David Amel, it speaks about their humility, their character traits, their ability to be a good person. That's what the Torah emphasizes. You want to be a leader, you want to be something, that's what you focus on, what, on becoming a better person. And there's very interesting, there's a Gemara in Shabbos, page 114a, that a Talmud Chacham that goes, it's a very interesting Gemara, a Talmud Chacham that goes with stained clothing deserves death. What does that mean? So if you have a rabbi that goes with something that's stained, he deserves a you know, death penalty. The Vilna Gohan says that Midos are considered the clothing of the soul. And the students of the of the Vilnagon, the Talmudia Agra, say that this because the 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 the, the midos, which is the, the clothing of the soul, what does it mean when something is stained? When you have stained clothing, it's not referring to your physical clothing, but if your spiritual clothing is stained, meaning that if you have bad midos, if you're a Talmud Chacham, if you're a leader, if you're a rabbi, and you have bad character traits, and you have a stained soul, that doesn't that's not good. That deserves a death uh, penalty, and that's why. We, that's why specifically, right, the location of Perky Elvis is right after we discuss speaking about leaders. Now we have to discuss why is it called Perky Elvis? You realize, no one, I wonder if you ever thought about this, right? We're learning a book of ethics and moral. This is a Sefer, this is a Mishnah book, I shouldn't never say that. It's a Sefer, uh, it's a Mishnah of Pirke Avos, right? But what is it referring to? It's referring to moral and ethics. What's Pirke Avos? Avos is our forefathers, our fathers. What does this have to do with parents? What does this have to do with forefathers? You call it a book of Musar, a morals, a morality, ethics, Pirke Avos, what does that have to do with me becoming a better person? So I want to share with you three answers. Answer one, number one, the Bin Elitim says that something very interesting, huge chedesh when I, when I learned this, that the reason why it's called Pirke Avos is because this is addressed, this safer, Pirke Avos is addressed primarily to parents. Parents want to be a guide for their children. You want to be a good role model. You have to master these principles in order to inoculate these values into the children. You want to, you have to lead by example. So you have to work on these concepts and that will, that will transfer off to the children. That's answer number one and why it's called Perkei Avos because it's meant for the parents. It's meant for the Avos. Answer number two, it's like 
an av when when there's thirty nine av melachos. When there's an av, there's a total, meaning that if what the Torah is telling us, that, uh, I'll give you an example. In Hilchah Shabbos, you have 39 Av Melachos, 39 categories of Melachos, and from that category, from the parent category, you have subcategories. So just like there are subcategories in the 39 Melachos, so too, when you learn Perkei Avos, there's many things that we can extrapolate, many things that we can learn from these Mishnah and Vezat Hashem. Hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll be able to delve into this and see a Mishnah and go into the real, the real depths of it and understand and learn many, many lessons from just one Mishnah. That's answer number two. Answer number three is that it's meant for encouragement. It's not easy to change your character trait. In fact, you know, it's easier to learn the entire Gemara than to change a single inborn character trait. It's very, very difficult to change who you are at your core. So I want to share with you something from David Schwartzman. I listened to this because this is amazing. The Jewish people, when they were in the Midbar and they received the laws when they were coming up to the Torah, one of the things were that they were forbidden to marry certain family members that they could have married before the Torah was given. And it says over there that the children, the Bnei Israel, the, the the children of Israel, they were they were weeping, they were they were mourning basically for their families. What does that mean? Because they used to be able to marry certain family members, and now they can't marry certain uh, you know family members. Anybody wants to look it up? Look it up in Gemara Numa, page seventy five A. So the question that we have to ask, and the question that many Mefarshim ask, wait a minute. The Jewish people, when they get that Torah and Har Sinai, right, on the holiday of Shavuot, what happened over there? They were converts. They weren't Jews beforehand, and now they became the chosen nation of Hashem. They became converts. So what happens? If somebody converts to Judaism, they are not associated anymore to their family, meaning that they became a new being. Biblically, they're allowed to marry a sibling, they're allowed to marry, uh, you know, like any family member. Because they're not anymore, they sort of got a new soul. They became a Jew, they became a new soul, so they're not associated anymore with their family. And of course, they have to continue keep it up. Aim. There's, there's a lot to discuss about it, but we're not going to go into it. But in its sense, they were completely disassociated with who they were beforehand and their family members. Again, the... Rabbanim, the Chachamim says we're not, we don't allow them to marry because of incest and things like that, but biblically they would be allowed to, uh, allowed to, uh, uh, marry. So now, we have to, we have to ask this question. The Jewish people, they were converted. They, they were converts at Harsinai. So if they were converts, they should have been allowed to marry whoever they want. Family members, distant family members, close family members. It didn't matter. They weren't associated with anything. Biblically, they were allowed to do it. So how come they weren't allowed to marry? So the Maharal explains that the Jews didn't convert voluntary. Akadish Baruch at Har Sinai, Matan Torah, Akadish Baruch placed a mountain over the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And it says, if you, if you accept the Torah, awesome, amazing, that's great. If not, this is going to be your burial place. And Akadish Baruch suspended this mountain above their head, and they, they were forced. They were like, you know what, am I going to die? Of course I'm going to be, you know, become a Jew. So when somebody says the Maral, when somebody goes and converts in that way, you don't sever, you don't remove the connection to your formerly family members. Now we have to ask on the Maral, we have to ask on that, we have to ask a question, wait a minute, why should it be different? If you converted, what is the difference if you converted voluntary or you are forced to convert? Secondary, the, the even a stronger question, you can't convert being forced. That's not a real conversion. So how is it that the Jewish people were able, were, were converted, were, were, went through Gerus like in a, uh, um, 
you know, in, in a forced manner, it's not a real, it's not a good conversion. So Rav Dov Schwartzman goes and explains that when a regular person, when a non-Jew comes and decides he wants to convert to become a Jew, they sever the ties from their previous, from their past, and they become a Jew. And they kind of disassociate where they, who they were before and they become a new person. But when the Jewish people converted on Har Sinai, the conversion was not something that started at Har Sinai. This is a process that began by Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The process started by our forefathers, by our avos, and it continued and it finished all the way by Har Sinai. Meaning that because it was a process that didn't start and end right then and there with you, with the person at Har Sinai, but rather it started with our great, 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 great forefathers, the conversion was still a valid conversion, even though it was forced, because this was something that already was in the process already from beforehand. So, the idea behind here is that when you convert as a non-Jew to become a Jew, you disassociate from your non-Jewish heritage. But here, we didn't disassociate it from our Jewish, from our heritage. We didn't disassociate it from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and, and all our ancestors. We, it was still a, 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 it was still a connection. And the reason behind this, because it was, there was still a connection, hence they weren't able to marry their relatives because the connection was still there. In a non-Jew, the reason why you're able to marry relatives is because the connection is not there anymore. But here, instead of having in a non-Jewish uh, conversion, you become a non-Jew, becoming a Jew, a new person, here, the process was you started by Avram Yitzchim Yaakov and you still had the connection all the way up to the uh, to Sinai and actually to this day. So listen to Rabbi Chaim, uh, the Lajan. The Ruach Chaim goes and explains so beautifully that when somebody goes and toils and works on themselves and changes their nature or, or works on a specific mitzvah, the nature of that person's children Pass on to that, 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 that work that you have done. Meaning that there's something that's called physical DNA. If you have blue eyes and your wife has brown eyes or your spouse has brown eyes right so your child has a 25% of having you know a, you know non brown eyes you have genetics that are passed on from the parent to the child there is physical genetics and then there is spiritual genetics spiritual dna spiritual den- genetics means that if you work on something if you tr- you you really focus on something and you exceed in something wh- whatever mitzvah it is whatever it is you work on it you pass that power on to your child so if you work on anger and you hold and, and you really work on it that passes on to your child now your child may be born with a tendency to be angry, but if they want to work on themselves, they can get to work on themselves very easily and very quickly because they have it in their genes. So there's something called physical DNA and there's something called spiritual DNA. Says Reb Chaim Velazhen there, we are connected to our ancestors. And in fact, we build, you can build a, a DNA sequence for your children depending on how and what you work on yourself. So let's try to understand this. We are connected to all our forefathers. Because if we, if it would have been a regular conversion, it wouldn't have been a forced conversion. But then 
we would have been disassociated with our forefathers, disassociated with our Rabbi Tzayakas because we're new converts. But we were forced. And why did Akadish Baruch force us? Listen to this beautiful, amazing Chiddush. Because it's, it's better for us that we were forced because now we retain the conversion started by the time of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and it ended up all the way up to our Sinai. So we retain that connection. We don't sever that connection with our forefathers and hence we weren't able to marry our relatives and hence we, there was a mourning that was done because we weren't able to marry our relatives. But what happened was is that we were connected and when we were connected, we have that spiritual DNA that's in within us. So now let's go back to our original question. Why is it called Pirkei Elvos? Why is it called the ethics of our forefathers? Because when we start learning Pirkei Elvos, you're going to be like, wait a minute, I'm going to be humble. I am going to be able to work on, on, on tzedakah. I'm going to be able, how am I going to be able to work? There's no way my nature is against it. You know why it's called Pirkei Elvos? It's because everything that you're working on in here, you have a spiritual DNA. You are connected to our forefathers. You're connected to your ancestors. You're connected over there, meaning that you're able, if you work on whatever it is that you need to work on, you have that spiritual DNA in your Avos that you're able to go and you're able to tap into that and you're able to succeed in that. So why is it called Perke Elvos? The third reason is because it's an encouragement saying that you think you can't, you can't succeed in this. Oh no, no, no. You can succeed in every single one of these Mishnahs. Every single lesson that we learn, you would be able to go and learn and grow and actually change your life for it. And if you think you can't, you, that's why the, the name of the Mishnah is Mesechtas Avos. This is something that our forefathers excelled in and we have it innate in us, in our spiritual DNA that we can accomplish that. How beautiful and how awesome is that? Okay, so now, when we start off learning Perkei Avos, there's always an introduction to the Perkei Avos, uh, and that is, we start off with saying, Kol Yisrael Yishlem Chelik La'olam Haba. And it says, That's a time, the Hispire. But let's try to focus. This is something that you say before you learn every parak in, in, in Pirkei Elvis. You see there's the same, the same Mishnah in, in, as an introduction. So what is this? The entire, the translation for that is the entire Jewish nation has a share in the world to come. Says Cham Avadya Yosef. What is the word kol trying to include? Says Chamavai Yosef, this is including righteous non-Jews. It says, Kol Yisrael Yosef about what is the call saying that non-Jews have a share in the world to come. If they're good non-Jews and they follow the seven Ochad laws, they follow things they do, they have a share in the world to come. And listen, look at the difference between the Judaism and every other religion. Every other religion, if you would go and ask a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, or anything else up and above, or all of the above, and say, I want to enter your, you know, the after, you know, the afterworld. The, and I want to know, can I go, um, can I go and can I enter heaven? And they say, well, you want to enter heaven? You have to, um, you have to, uh, um, convert to our, you know, religion. And uh, you go, you ask anybody else, you, you, you would have to convert. But yet, the reality with Judaism is that you don't need to convert to get into heaven. You don't need to that. Meaning that if you go, and if you're a good person, and what does a good person mean? We'll soon get to that. But if you're a good person, and you follow the seven Ochad laws, you don't have to convert to get into heaven. 
every other religion, you have to convert to their religion in order to get to what they call, you know, their heaven. But Judaism says, no, 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 you don't have to convert. You could stay who you are, where you are, just you have to follow the seven Ochad laws, you have to be, and so on and so forth, you have to be, you have to be a good person. And the proof, says Chacham Yosef, that this is referring to non-Jews as well, is that the Mishnah lists people that the continuation of this Mishnah lists people that don't have a share in the world to come. For example, Bilam. Bilam doesn't have a share in the world to come. Says the Rambam in Hilchas Shuvah, if Bilam, had Bilam been righteous, he would have had a share in the world to come. And in fact, the Maran Chulun, page 92, says that righteous people among the nations of the world, in those merit, in those people, the righteous people in the merit of the world, meaning the non-Jewish righteous people, that's the merit that the world exists. They have a strong power. You don't have to convert to be a good person. You don't have to convert to get into heaven. You don't have to convert to be, you know, to, to get into, into Gan Eden. You have the ability to do that through just being, following the seven Ochad laws, following the moral, you know, the conduct, and, and being a good person. Now it's very interesting. When we said, the Ramban says this is referring to after Tchiasamesim. But the Ramban says, no, this is referring to after death. Like the period of the afterlife. Again, we don't have time to really, you know, it's getting a little bit late and I want to get to different things. But there's different areas of, of the focus. But when we're going to be discussing this, we're going to be focusing after Tchiasamesim, meaning the world to come after uh, the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so now, we have to understand why is it that every parak this Mishnah is used as a um, as an as an as an introduction. If you think about it, why did they, out of all the Mishnahs the um, the need to put you know before every parak? So three answers. Answer number one is before you do something. You have to know your goal, your outcome. Meaning that if you want to succeed in something, then you have to think about it. Like, what is the person? What, what, why am I doing this action? Why, what, what's the goal? What's the outcome? So, really, the outcome is that Kol Yisrael Yeshlam Chalak Olam Haba. The the goal is we have to realize the Olam Haba, that we live in this world. It's not for this world. We leave, we, you know, we, we, we live in this world for the next world. This world is sort of like a hallway, a corridor, a prison door for the next world. So when we're going into, and we're thinking about it, we're like, okay, wait a minute. The whole purpose of me being here is that I should work on myself, that I should become a better person, that I should go and focus and, and improve myself and hence, you know, get my, the shear in, in Olam Haba. So that gives us a goal, realizing what, what are we here for? And once you're here for it, that gives you a little, okay, fine. So you're beginning to learn a parak. You're beginning to learn to learn a, um, a, a something in, in, uh, uh, you know, improving yourself. You have to realize this is the reason that you're placed in this, in this, uh, uh, in this world. And the second reason is that to give, you know, encouragement to a person that a person has a you know sometimes people they, they see something and be like oh, I'm going to be able to accomplish this I'm going to be able to do this and the answer is yes every single one of us could accomplish everything that we want and need to do and we have a share we have a place already there we have to just go and tap into it and the third reason is that 
when you see when when you hear the you know many times we say we think for ourselves every every Jew has a share of the world to come. No, the answer for this one is not about you. It's about the other person. Not only you have a share in the world to come, but so too the other person has a share in the world to come. Meaning that if somebody, if, if you're working on interpersonal relationship, you have to realize this is an important person. This is a person that, that, that has value, that has me. This is someone that has a share in the world to come. So that will be like, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, we think of ourselves better than other people. I'll be like, hey, do I really need to be nice to this person? They're, it's their job. It's what they need to do. And we give different examples, that the different uh, scenarios in our heads that we justify not being the best person. But if we realize that everyone has a share in the world to come, even non-Jews, then we have to go and we have to say, well, you know what? I have to treat this person with respect. I have to treat this person with moral and ethical, you know, matter. And that is the, the third reason. Now, I want to share with you, I'll probably end up closing with this, even though I wanted to, to add a lot more, because this is going to take me some time, that the Mam Laws brings down that everybody, it says, all the Jewish people have a share of the world to come. However, many people forget to learn the remainder of this Mishnah, that there are people that do not have a share of the world to come. There are people that lose their share of the world to come. And I think it's very important, very imperative to go and to uh, know what these lists of things that cause somebody to lose their share in the world to come. If you judge a certain act, then probably the main thing that you should judge it is the severity of it. Meaning that if you go to, if you're, if you're in a certain country and the country says if you drive a red car, it's death penalty. That's pretty serious. Meaning that you would avoid driving a red car at all costs. Even though red is your favorite color and even though red car is your favorite thing and you have a thousand red cars in your, in your garage, you won't drive it because you know it's a death penalty. So, while we're working on our ethics and I work on our morality, it's very important to think and realize and understand the severity of certain sins and what should we refrain from. And I'm not going to go into in great detail because we did speak about this. This is, a, you know, in, in a series that we gave about, uh, Kares, I believe it was. Of a series, maybe it was a class, but I want to go through them, uh, fairly quickly to show you just to know what to refrain from. And these are the list of people that have no share in the world to come, meaning that they lose their share in the world to come unless they do chew, unless they do repentance. Number one is an atheist. Somebody who does not believe in God, they lose their share in the world to come. They could be the greatest person, but if they don't believe in God, they don't believe that there is a Kaddish Baruch who created the world, an atheist, they lose their share in the world to come. Number two is an agnostic. Agnostic is someone who uh, does is says, I don't know. Maybe there is a God, maybe there's not a God. Kind of thinks that they're playing the safe game, but really it's far from safe, right? If you're an agnostic, also you don't have a share in the world to come. The third one is somebody who, and by the way, I could really delve a long time in each and every single one of these, but I want to get through the entire list so that you could uh, just have a basic understanding on it. Number three is people that do not believe in divine revelation or prophecy. Say there's no way that God spoke to people and gave the Torah to us. There's no, there's no connection between human beings and God. Someone like that loses their share of the world to come. The fourth one is somebody who denies that there's any reward or punishment, right? There's some people that say maybe there is a God. Maybe, you know, God gave the Torah, maybe, but reward and punishment, God doesn't care, but it doesn't matter. You do what you want, you die, you're done. 
That's a, you know, there's no reward, there's no punishment for, for any good deed or any bad deed they do. Someone like that loses their share in the world to come. Someone like that, also, there's no hope for that person. If someone doesn't feel like they will get rewarded or punished, then what's the difference? They're going to cheat, they're going to lie, they're going to do whatever it is that they, that they want because they feel there's no consequences that comes to it. That was the fourth one. The fifth one is somebody who denies the Torah. Someone who says, you know, the Torah is not real, the Torah is fake, the, denies any aspect of the Torah, has no share in the world to come. The sixth one is someone who claims that God doesn't know what we do. Hashem doesn't know what we do, doesn't, or doesn't know, doesn't even care. Eh, created the world, even though it says that God created the world, the Torah is real, everything, but God, God doesn't care about what we do, what we don't do. You know, there's a, the infinite universe. I'm such a small, tiny speck. God really cares if I, you know, said a little bit of Lashon Hara, I didn't make a blessing, I, you know, didn't keep kosher the way that I was supposed to, Shabbos the way that I was supposed to. Eh, it doesn't care. Someone like that loses their share in the world to come. Now, just to understand the severity, you could have done everything right. But if you do something so stupid, so idiotic, that just say, like, no, the Torah is not real, or the Torah that God doesn't care, I don't know if there's a God, all these things, you just lose it. It's so bad, these sins, that you have to run away from this like a, like, you know, like a plague. You have to run away like a plague. You have to say, this is the, you have to make sure that you don't fall into any one of these categories. That was number six. Number seven is someone who disrespects the chachamim, the sages, the leaders of the generation, the great rabbis of the generation. Unfortunately, in our day and age, you see it also. You see people, the secular, in, in the secular, let's say, in Israeli newspapers, they speak bad about the gedoli hadar, the, the, the leaders of generation. These are people, they're losing their share in the world. They're losing everything. If they would realize what they just lost by a few sentences that they typed, the you know... They would jump off a cliff. They, 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 they just don't. They must be. They don't know because you just lo- you lose everything for that. Number eight is someone who mocks, who makes fun of the teachings of the Gemara or the Medrash. Uh, you know, obviously disrespects the Torah, the, the actual, you know, the, the twenty-four books. Anything disrespect, making fun of it, losing your share in the world to come. Number nine is someone that denies that the Torah was given by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Torah was given by God. Unfortunately, in our day and age, you have movements like the Reform movements that say, you know, the God didn't give the Torah, or God didn't give the whole Torah. It was made up, or was this, it was conveyed. They changed it, and to, to the point that they, a reformed person, if they follow what the reform guidelines is, they have no share in the world to come. They just, and they think about it, you know, like, if you think about it, somebody that would go to their, the, you know, the, I guess the temple, uh, it would be a temple in reform, they would go to the, and they would still have no share in the world to come because of the ideology that reform implanted in them. So somebody who denies that Torah was given by Gadish Baruch Hu, losing the share in the world, loses the share in the world to come, even if you deny only part of it, even a little bit of it. Somebody who denies the oral law, right? Tzedukim. These are people that say, you know what? God gave the Torah, but uh, we don't. We only believe in the written law. We don't believe in the oral law. Someone like that loses their share of the world to come. Also in this uh, category, someone who says that uh, that Hashem exchanged this Torah for a new Torah. And if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, this is in reference to Christians. Say, no, there was an Old Testament and then there is a New Testament. Someone with that mindset, they lose the share in the world to come. That was number 10. Number 11 is someone who denies Tchiasamesim, resurrection of the dead. I, uh, um, I don't know, maybe this is 7, 8, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, speaking to a student of mine who used to come to some classes, um, he lost his father 
and I was speaking to him about it, and we got into a conversation of Tchias Mason, the resurrection of the dead, being reunited with all the people, and he just like slipped up. Nah, I don't believe in that. And I told him, like, what do you mean you don't believe that? You you realize if you don't believe in certain things, you lose your share in the world to come. You lose the aspect. Like, you know, there's some things that it's worth it to take a risk. And there are other things that you're the dumbest person on planet Earth. If you just like, what is a hurt to say? Okay, that's what the sages say. Fine. Okay, fine. Like, meaning that if you go and you just say that there is no resurrection of the, you lose your share in the world to come. Like, this is a fundamental. You look at the animamina, you know, like it's a fundamental aspects of Judaism. And if you just deny it because it doesn't make sense to your tiny brain that maybe you just you know learned a class or two of biology or chemistry that you think you're so smart so you decide that you're going to decide what's right and what's wrong if you decide based off that you're coming into so many problems so many issues so someone who denies the resurrection of the dead loses the share in the world to come number that was number 11 number 12 somebody who does not believe in the coming of mashiach someone says that no i don't believe in mashiach what does it hurt for you? What does it hurt to say, no, you know what? The Torah says the Mashiach is going to come. Fine. I'm going to believe in Mashiach. You know, like, by the fact, it's such a small thing that you could lose everything by such a small thing. But it's a mindset. Number 13 is uh, Mishuma. This is somebody who abandons the Torah and embraces another religion. Now, this could be, this is unfortunately more common in the olden days, where the Jews were being uh, persecuted and uh, there was suffering. And they said, okay, if you don't convert to this religion, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. So if somebody leaves the Jewish religion for another religion, that is someone who loses the share in the world to come, even if it's because of suffering and persecution. Number 14 is somebody, listen to this, somebody who abandons, who says, I'm not keeping the 613 commandments, I'm keeping only 612. I don't know. Shotness, not interested in shot. Wool and linen together, not interested in that. I am not keeping that. Everything else I'm going to keep. Someone like that loses the share in the world to come. You know, there was uh, uh, an organization <clears throat> that they, what they do is, is they, they unfortunately try to take people away from Torah life, from Judaism, from being religious. And uh, so one of their events, they made a kosher table and a non-kosher table. And there were signs in there. There was a non-kosher table sign and the kosher, and there was a kosher table sign. And there was a non-Jewish person over there. And the non-Jewish person ate from, it's an article I read years ago. He ate from both the tables. And he said, you know, afterwards he was very interested because the kosher side was much better food. Yet the non-kosher table was empty. The kosher table was full. Even though it had, the food was better, as said by this non-Jewish person who was there. So, when you think about it, you have here a bunch of, you know, Jews that are trying to leave religion and they see a kosher table sign and they see a non-kosher table sign and say, no, I'm going to go to the non-kosher table sign. You know, because it's like lahaches. I'm going to do it again. If somebody goes and does a, a sin, you know, like, you know, even just like takes like one sin, that person and says, I'm not keeping this, that person loses their share in the world to come. And here you had, what you would think equally tasting food, but in ha- but in fact it was better tasting food. Yet the the n- non kosher food that table was empty. That was number fourteen. Okay, number fifteen is someone who's machtes arabim. Machtes arabim is causing many people to sin, meaning that even if somebody causes many people to sin, 
that you lose your share in the world to come. This is, by the way, even if somebody causes somebody causes many people to neglect a positive Torah commandment. Someone makes a comment, why are you going to Torah class? Let's go to the movies instead. Let's do something else instead. Right? Someone who takes someone away from a positive commandment loses the, many people. Many people, they lose their share in the world to come. And you don't gain anything from it. You're just, you're compacting your loss based off somebody else's, uh, uh, you know, sins. That was number 15. Number 16 is someone who separates themselves from the community. They say, oh, why do I have to be involved with this? Not interested. And they separate themselves from the community. Number 17, we're going to hurry it up a little bit because it's getting a little bit late, is murder. A murderer. A murderer also loses share in the world to come. Number 18 is someone who refuses to go circumcision. I was speaking to an older Russian gentleman, and actually, I haven't spoken to him in, in, in like maybe two, three years. I don't know where he's holding now, but we were in contact, uh, you know, on and off for the past five, six years. And I've been oh, consistently trying to get him to be circumcised. He wasn't circumcised. And uh, he kept coming with different excuses. I'm old. He was like 50-something years old. I'm old. I'm sick. I'm this and that. And I'm like, okay, listen, you don't, go with a doctor. Like, we'll do everything according to medical expertise and only if they allow it and only if they say that you're healthy. And he kept on refusing for reasons that I, I couldn't get to because as much as I pushed, he, you know, he pushed back. Now, Again, I don't want to classify this person as losing the share in the world to come because, you know, he has his own reason. But somebody who refuses to undergo circumcision loses the share in the world to come. Number 19. Someone who has, who has a habit of destroying people's reputation. Meaning that somebody who is a Ba'alei Lashon Hara, somebody who goes and, um, who who consistently speaks uh, Lashon Hara, ruins people's reputation. Now, it's I think it's fair to say that there are many uh, uh, journalists, unfortunately, that fall into this category. It's very unfortunate. You know, people go into a certain, uh, you know, profession and they don't realize the damage that they cause, right? People go, because you're writing a story, right? It's in the news that you have that somebody, uh, you know, stole money or do something like that. And you write this up, but it turns out it was false. He was falsely accused. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't accurate. That per, you know, like that journalist just ruined this person's reputation based off evidence of hearsay, meaning they weren't convicted of anything. It was just, you know, like it just kind of like started a, uh, you know, an investigation. So people that are ba'alei lashonara, people that are constantly speaking lashonara, people that are constantly going and bad-mouthing people, ruining people's reputation, they lose their share in the world to come. For a few, you know, people are very into sharing news and like, oh, did you hear about what happened to this person? Why? Why do you care? Why do you have to share that with somebody else? Like, why do you have to spread bad news? Anything negative that happens, people are, are you know, they're like, oh, let, you know, like, let me, let me be the first one to, you know, you heard what happened to this person. You heard what happened. He lost his money. He did this. He fell. He's in jail. He's, you know, all the bad things. That's what people are jumping to say. What does it do for you? It does nothing. But you, you have so much to lose. Very little to gain, but so much to lose. Okay, and number, where are we up to? We're up to number 20. Number 20 is people who try to heal a wound by uh, magical means, by occult means. Uh, these are people that they, let's say they go to these uh, magic, these curers, right? The, 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 the healers, you know, like, like, so, so you have these like spiritual healers. So if it's fake, you don't gain anything. If it's real, you lose more than you gain because it's it's a very very bad thing to go to these type of people. The primary prohibition of this is is against spitting while saying Hashem's name. 
Now that make that makes sense. So let me sh- share with you the story the Mamlos brings down to try to explain this. So there was once a rabbi who was uh, he was he met this Arab who had a, a reputation of being a faith healer, like these magical healers. And the rabbi was with this healer, and he was talking to him. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and somebody who was very, very sick was brought to this healer. And uh, uh, the rabbi was sitting there and watching. The guy, the, there was a sick person that was brought in, and this healer, through his occult rituals, he would start, you know, saying certain things, and he would spit while he was speaking. He would spit. And um, after you know he finished his ritual, the rabbi told you know went to speak to him and says, you know, wh- why did you spit? When you are with this, you know, like with this patient. So he said, you know, the, the healer said the reason, the sickness that this person has is he has a spirit inside of him. And in order to heal the patient, we have to communicate with the spirit to ask the spirit to leave. And the way that I communicate is I spit. That's the, with this particular spirit, you spit to speak to the spirit. And, and you know, basically he was saying that, uh, you know, I say the spirit, like why you're a spiritual entity, why are you going to load the human being, so on and so forth. So, the rabbi says, now I understand why the Torah tells us that it's forbidden to say, you know, to spit while saying Hashem's name. Cause when we, when we pray that Hashem heals a patient, we're, we're praying to God directly. Spit when, when, on the other hand, when someone's spitting to pray to a wicked spirit, they're kind of like praying slash speaking to the spirit to ask the spirit to leave. So when we pray, in Hashem's name, and, and we spit, we're equating, we're equaling God to this wicked spirit. And it's as if we're praying to God and this wicked spirit. And therefore, the prohibition is so severe that you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to, uh, you know, spit while saying Hashem's name because it stems from this area. You're equating it to, um, to this, to this, uh, uh, you know, wicked spirit and as if you're praying to this wicked spirit. The next thing, uh, 21 is that you, those that pronounce Hashem's name the way that it's written. So it's written Yudke Vavke. If you pronounce it that way, the way that it's written, you lose your share in the world to come. You're not allowed to pronounce that way. We have to pronounce it Adoy and then we, you know, finish with Noi. Okay. Uh, number 22 is somebody, oh, these are the, the following last two is somebody that is, these are minor sins. This is somebody calling by someone by an embarrassing nickname. That causes someone to lose their share in the world to come. Why would, and publicly shaming a person, also on the same character, causing someone to lose their share in the world to come. So all these people, the Rama brings us down in Hilchas Tshuva, the Mamlos brings us down in well in, in Perkei Avos, that these people have no share. If you are one of these people, you fall in this category, you know somebody falls in the category, they have no share in the world to come. They lose a share of the world to come unless they do Tshuva. Unless they do repentance, right? If no matter what you did, how far you're fallen, you have all, you have the ability to go and do tshuva and do repentance. Now, again, we, we don't have the time to go through it and it's a very, very deep and, and, and Kabbalistic concept, but the Ben Ishchai and Arizal do speak about how these people who have no share in the world to come still can have a share in the world to come through reincarnation and suffering. And Rabbi Yaakov Hillel speaks about it at length as well, uh, for all those who want to, uh, look further into this, uh, you know, into this, uh, subject, into this matter. But, as a conclusion, there are many things that we're going to be speaking about that, you know, enhance. We all have a share in the world to come and we're going to be working on it. We're going to be learning about different things that you have to focus on. But we also have to make sure that we don't fall into the category of people who lose their share in the world to come because we can have, build ourselves such a huge share 
in the world to come, but we can lose it all by being in one of these 23 categories, 24 categories of people who lose their share in the world to come and how careful we have to be. And in the coming weeks, we'll start with the Mishnah and the, the, the first, uh, parak, the first Mishnah, and we'll see all the lessons and the, the things that we can learn to enhance our share in the world to come and become a better person. But the most important thing is that we have to realize that no matter what class you're learning and what thing you're listening, I'm going to repeat this again and again, that you have to actualize this and you have to take this out out of the share that you listen to, out of the class that you listen to. What am I going to do differently coming this coming week, coming this coming days? How am I going to change my life to become a better person? And we'll open up to uh, questions. Alrighty. Okay. Uh, first question. On Shavuot, did we receive the five books of Torah or just the Ten Commandments? Uh, so, very, very, uh, you know, good question. So, on Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Ten Commandments, and over the course of the next, uh, 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu was in, uh, you know, Shemaim in heaven, and he brought down, uh, you know, the rest of the Torah and all the lessons. Again, there was a broken Lucas and going back, and the Eagle up. We're not gonna get into all those details. But when we say that we got a Torah in Har Sinai, we're referring to the full encompassing, you know, Torah. Okay, next question. I feel like it's easier to say I want to change. In the heat of the moment, you need a voice in your head to chime in and tell you to stop what you're doing and what would Hashem want you to do. 100%. It's so easy to say I want to change. But what you should do, and I'll tell you, I do this myself. I have reminders on my phone. I, my calendar reminds me you know, to do X, Y, and Z. Whatever it is, sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's a, you want to change, you have to have a constant reminder. So you have to really have that reminder and say, okay, you know what, I need to work on this. Just to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to be less angry. How, what, how, when, where, how are you going to charge that? You have daily reminder, you can listen to the classes, you're going to do, there is, has to be a follow-up that goes through that. Okay. Is this spiritual DNA passed down before you have children or can it pass down when you already have it? Excellent question. I had the same question, and I'm not 100% sure. So I'll tell you the, the answer that I think. Um, so when you have a physical DNA, your physical being, whatever you have, that's passed down because that's in your in your genetics. But my understanding, and I may be wrong in this, is my understanding that even after you have children, if you work on it, you give over, that spiritual DNA can still be passed on to your children uh, that were already born, and it was after you changed. But again, that's my own understanding. Okay. Um, next question. I feel myself slowly losing to carrot for to be sneers. How can I strengthen this aspect? So, the first step of growing in any area is education. All right, you want to exceed in something, you want to excel in something, you have to know what you're dealing with. So I would say the first thing is to start learning about it, listening to classes about it, open, opening up a safer about it. That's, that's, you know, step, that would be step number one. I wouldn't say to do anything before, well, obviously beat snakes before that, but that would be the first step to, to, um, to, to be able to strengthen yourself in that. Learn about it. Doesn't every Jew go to the world to come after going to Ghanim? Oh, so very good. So this is something that the, um, what I was saying before, how the Benish Chai and the Arizal explained that every Jew has a share in the world to come, no matter how far they fall, but they might have to go through excruciating suffering and pain. And it might not be Ghanim, it might be reincarnation, it might be something like that. But again, it depends. It depends. So if, uh, I don't want to get into the whole detail on it because it's really long, but in brief, the, um, there are many souls that, so, so, there are many reincarnations that a person has. Every reincarnation has a different aspect of the soul that they need to fix. If a, a certain soul 
that was connected to a certain body did not fix or even better they did a sin that caused them to lose their share in the world to come that body will not be resurrected in the world to come in Olam Haba. Meaning they will not have a share in the world to come. The soul will still have a share in the world to come because that body came, that soul came back in multiple reincarnation. And again, I hope that you guys can follow me with this because I don't want to go, it, it, to explain this, I need a really long time. Um, and this is just like a brief overview. Of it. So not every body will be reincarnated, but every soul will have a share in the world to come. Just, uh, I, I hope that would answer it. But if not, again, Rav Yaakov Hillel in, in uh, his Sefer on Pirkei Alva speaks about it at length if you want to go look at it. Why would Hashem bring us into this world and create a path where we can go to Gehenna if He truly loves us? So this is only... Uh, so first of all, we have to understand two aspects. The idea that we can get to Gehenna is because we have free will. So Hashem created us and gave us... Because otherwise we would just be robots. No feelings, no nothing. So everything is straight. You know, like... There's no, we're, we're just a machine. So in order for us to have reward and have punishment and have anything and feelings and anything else, there has to be free will. So because Rubble had to create good, had to create bad. The Gehenim is not something like, oh, you did something bad. I'm so upset. I'm so pissed off at you. You know what? You're going to go and you're going to get punished and you're going to suffer for it. No, the suffering the suffering is a cleansing process. It's out of love. Think the example that our sages use: if someone gets a piece of clothing dirty, there is a cleaning process. Now the claw, the clothing, you know, it's suffering. You know, like you're rubbing, you're putting, applying heat, you're applying certain chemicals to it to, to try to clean the, the 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 you know the article of clothing. So to the soul, the soul could be damaged. The soul could be tainted with with impurities. The Gehenim is just a clean cleansing process to get to the to into the next world. What is the source of this list? So you can look at this list in, in the Rambam and Hilchas Tshuva. Uh, this list is also in the Ma'am Laws in the introduction to Perkei Avos. And this is all based on the Gemara and the Midrashim. So, uh, these two sources, the Ma'am Laws and the Rambam, they made it a, an anthology. They sort of compiled it for you so it's easy. But all these are throughout the Gemara. These are sources directly from, from the Gemara and the Midrashim. What if someone keeps the seven Noahide laws but is an atheist and agnostic? Not possible. Cause, uh, you know, like, like, if someone keeps the Noahide laws, it means that they're keeping it because it's the Noahide, uh, laws. An atheist and agnostic, they, yeah, they lose their share. If someone, uh, does tshuva, do they get their schus to be in the world to come or is it permanent? No. If someone could do, if someone messes up no matter how far you fall, if you do tshuva, you get the share back. Can you do tshuva for something that you did in past to someone who has passed away? So if you hurt somebody who someone passed away, yes, you could do tshuva. Sometimes you have to go to the grave. Sometimes you have to ask mechila, but you could definitely do tshuva on that. Okay. Uh, what about saying bad things about Gentiles who appear to be mean-spirited or bad to the Jews? What are the laws of speech over there? Okay, so this is a little bit different, and I don't want to get into it, where you speak about wicked people. I'm assuming that's where your question is. Uh, can you speak Lashon Hara about those people? That's a topic for a different time. In general, the recommendation that I always give people is stay far away from speaking negative about anybody and anything because you don't want to start making the differentiation if you don't know and that you know like you're playing with fire with a fine line. Okay. Uh, next, how do you be midactic in an environment that doesn't encourage you without people thinking you are too extreme? Asking as a post-seminary girl, uh, there are many things that you can do to improve yourself 
that has just to do with yourself, meaning that you don't have to include other people in it. And it's very unfortunate because you have, and, and it really bothers me, where you have people that come back from seminary or learning or they're growing and be like, oh, you're so from, and they really talk down on those people. The person that talks down at someone who comes back from Israel on a high level, I do not envy what that person has coming for them. Because like this is someone who's growing and you're just knocking them down. Like how dare you? Who, who do you think you are to go? Someone's working on themselves. Oh, you're so spiritual. Yes, you loser. I'm so spiritual. Like I'm working on myself. You're an idiot and a fool for not. And you're, you're even worse for talking down about it. Oh, you're not normal. You're not, you're coming into Israel. You're coming back from Israel. You're at such a high level. Wait till you get integrated, get back. The dumbest people, I, I like, like, uh, like, I shouldn't be negative about, you know, anybody, but like, these are people who have no brains in their head. Because why would you, someone who's working on themselves, it's like going to a drug addict and be like, oh, you're trying to work yourself and you're not becoming a drug addict, you're going to get better. Like, why would you ever do that? Like, if someone's trying to improve themselves, why would you talk down at them? It makes no sense from a, when you think about it, from a logical perspective, if someone's working on themselves, whether it's prayer, whether they're acting so from, like, why would you ever tell somebody, Oh, why are you working? So you're trying to become a better person? Like, yeah, I'm trying to become a better person. You should try it also. Like, so someone like, do, if you're in that situation and people are talking down at you, do not take that to heart. They're an idiot. They're a fool and they're going to pay for those comments, unfortunately. Speaking about healers, what if they're not mentioning any names, spirits, but use some items to heal still not allowed? And this is what I tell people. I have people that call me all the time on this, on these, on these situation where they go to these healers and they're like, okay, you know, you do these CBGB things. I'll tell you one thing and I'll tell you it in the strongest way that I could possible. Stay the furthest away possible you can from these people. You will not gain from these people, especially if they're not Jewish and they're going up this. Stay very, very far away from these people. They do not help you. They cause more damage. These spiritual healers, these, you know, far, stay far, far away. And I can tell you stories and stories from people that I speak to that how bad they've fallen and how much worse they made it. Okay. What, which should I focus more on? Studying Pirkei Avas, Halachas, or Midrashan? Pirkei Avas is so important because this is really something that, you know, it changes who you are. You become a better person. Midrashim is very important because it's the oral law, but Perke Elvis is something that will change who you are. So if you were to ask me, what would I would, fo- I would say focus on Perke Elvis like that. Okay, final question came in. What about, oh, no, two more questions came in. What about burning things, sage around the house or health? That's all. Stay far away. Oh no, don't do that. Yeah, that doesn't do anything. You put some smoke from some spirits to move away. Please, stay far away from that. If there's no source in the Kabbalistic or the Torah law, you're not helping anything. Okay, final question, last question. Preferably, how long should your hair be when it's loose? Is it considered to be modest? My hair is a little bit past my elbow. My elbows, wow, that's that's low. And someone mentioned it might not be modest. Yeah, it's definitely not good to have hair down that uh, law. Long, it depends on which community you're in. You know, generally people say shoulder length a little bit longer than shoulder length. Uh, um, it shouldn't be that, but it depends on a lot of a uh, lot of factors. But definitely, long hair uh, is not um, is not modest. Okay, that is the final question. Thank you all for joining. Again, remember, remember, very very important. Take away something from this class take away something maybe take away the fact that you have the ability to change your children's life after you maybe that should be your takeaway right anything that you focus on anything that you work on that's going to be passing to your children so work on ourselves work on yourselves become a better people become change who you are 
And with that, we'll prepare ourselves for the holiday of Shavuot and also the coming of Mashiach. Thank you all for joining. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.